Amen and amen. How's everyone doing today? Good. Awesome. Good to see you all. Uh, we're going to be in Acts 4, verses 23 through 31. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts 4, verses 23 through 31. Turn there, tap there. Uh, we've been, as that video has shown, that we're going through a sermon series at the transit. If you're new to the transit, we go through books of the Bible from the pulpit. And we're going to be in Acts for a long time. So you guys better hunker down and, uh, and uh, enjoy it, all right? Because it's been great so far, right? Quick shout out to Saju and Joe Workman last two weeks. Can we put our hands together for them? My goodness, my goodness. Let's just say I got, I got happy I got sick, all right? Because I, I got to hear some good messages, all right? So that was awesome. Make sure you thank them for that when you see them. Uh, but today in our text in Acts 4, we're looking at the response of the early church to persecution from the same religious leaders that uh, crucified Jesus, okay? So that's what we're going to be looking at. And a quick recap of where we've been at in the last four weeks as we've been journeying through Acts is we've been in this kind of 24-hour to 48-hour window in the early church. So if you remember, just I'm going to do a quick recap before we dive in to get the context here. Peter and John, if you remember the, the, the lame beggar who's outside the temple gate, uh, Peter and John are commuting to the temple around 3 p.m. They see this guy. He asks for money. They say, hey, we, we're broke. We ain't got no money, but what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Arise and walk, okay? So all of a sudden, the power of God comes upon this man. He's healed. He was lame from birth. He's getting new heavenly wheels. He's jumping around like a cricket in the temple, and this crowd gathers. Uh, commotion ensues, and uh, this man, it says in, the, in, the, in Acts, in our previous text, was clinging to Peter and John, and it says that the crowd's attention and focus was on Peter and John, like they were kind of demigod, divine healers, and, and all of a sudden Peter sees this, and he takes a step back, and he uses this opportunity where the power of God came to bring healing, he uses that opportunity to proclaim the gospel. And that's what Saju preached two weeks ago, uh, Peter's gospel message. He says, why are, you looking, why are you looking at us? Like we did anything. It wasn't in our name that we healed this. And he goes, one, why are you surprised? It, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. This is, what, this is the power of your resurrected king. But two, why are you looking at us like we did this? The Jesus who you know was crucified, he's resurrected. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he's the one who's responsible for this man walking and having a new life. Jesus gave this man his life back. And you need to repent and put your faith and hope. In. So then, so after Peter preaches the gospel, thousands of people come to know Jesus, it says on that day. But the religious leaders weren't too happy with that. And this is, where, this is what Joe talked about last week. The response of the religious leaders to healing. If you want to really make uh, religious people mad, just uh, talk about God in the present tense, right? But once you get out of God talking about God working in the future or God working in the past, if you just start saying, well, hey, God healed someone, everyone kind of, everyone who maybe, <laughs> anyways, I was into my notes. I probably should have said that, but um, yeah, so the religious leaders aren't too happy. As Joe said last week, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the temple council, they went to great lengths to put Jesus to death, and apparently Jesus is still healing people. Apparently he didn't stay in the grave. Apparently his movement is still moving. He's moving powerfully through the church. And so they arrest Peter and John. They put him in jail for a night. And if you're Peter and John, the same people that uh, are arrested and tried and, and crucified Jesus are the, the same people that put you in jail. So they're in jail, and, and they're facing a trial the next day, kind of a mock trial. That's what Joe preached last week. And, and they have to be wondering what is going to happen to us. Peter had a wife. He probably had kids. At this point, what's going to happen to my family? The stakes just got a whole lot higher, right? The stakes got really, really high for Peter and John in the early church. They're arrested, and then there's a trial. And this is what we looked at last week. There's a trial that takes place. And the religious leaders look at Peter and John, and they say, by what name and by what power are you doing this? Because we're the authority in the land. 
We're the religious authority. How are you superseding our authority? And Peter, filled with the Spirit of God, the same Peter that denied Jesus to a junior hire the night of Jesus' betrayal, is now boldly standing before his potential murderers and boldly professing Jesus Christ as Lord. He says, he says to them, you want to know, who, who, you want to know why this man who's standing next to us with new, new, uh, new legs and a new life? It's Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ whom you crucified. He's resurrected. We've seen it with our own eyes. And then Peter says, there's salvation in no other name. And what happens after Peter boldly confesses, professes Christ as Lord in the gospel, it actually says the religious leaders were astonished. They took a step back. Peter drops the mic. He says, the defense rests. Thank you very much. And the religious leaders didn't have any response. So they huddle up. They have a little counsel. And then they bring this charge. This is all going somewhere. They bring a charge to Peter and John in their movement. And they say this, listen, we're going to let you go. But we're going, to, we're going to put you on probation. And the terms of the probation is this. I don't want you to speak or mention or sneeze or cough the name of Jesus. And, like, and, we will, and they threaten them with violence, with arrest, and surely with violence. Say, if you mention the name of Jesus again, this is, this is your future. This is your inheritance. You count the cost. So where we're at in our text is Peter and John returning to the church with this news. And what we're going to see is what did the church do in the face of violence, in the face of persecution? What did they do? One, they could, have, they could have had this attitude, let's retreat in fear. Hey, Peter, man, when you've been preaching, we've been looking at some of Peter's sermons, he's bringing the fire, right? The Jesus whom you crucified, you need to repent. There's salvation in nobody else. He's preaching the undiluted gospel. They could say, Peter, man, let's slow this down a little bit. Let's, let's dilute it. Let's water it down, right? We're a mega church now. There's thousands of us. Let's do like, instead of talking about the gospel, let's do like seven highly effects to a better you now kind of messages, you know? No one really gets offended or triggered by that. They could have done that. They easily could have done that. Maybe, maybe, maybe they were tempted to do that. Maybe they were tempted to slow down as they were counting the cost. Or instead of retreating in fear, they could have retaliated in rage. They could have done what Jesus commanded them not to do. So let bitterness and rage enter their hearts. And, and like the sons of thunder, maybe call down curses and fire and brimstone upon the religious leaders. Or, or maybe they could have said, hey, let's lawyer up and sue the togas off of these guys because they unlawfully arrested us, right? They, they didn't let bitterness and, and anger dwell in their hearts because Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you. Bless your enemies. Love your enemies. So this is how they responded. They didn't retreat in fear. They didn't retaliate in anger. What they did was they ran to the resurrected king in intercession and in prayer. This was a community devoted to prayer. The one place that we see the, the church, the early church, always going is to their king in prayer in their desperation and helplessness. Why? Why would they do that? Because he's with them. He's there. They've encountered his power. They know they don't stand a chance unless God moves through them. And so they cry out in desperation. That's what prayer is. You don't need to pray if you don't need God. So this community is rallying together, linking arms, saying, God, we need you. We're being threatened. Your gospel message is trying to be quenched. Don't let that happen. Give us boldness. Give us something we don't have. So that's what they're doing. And the title of my sermon today is this. I can't believe I'm already like 10 minutes into my intro. My goodness. All right, sorry. Is this, is when God's people pray. Is when God's people pray. Because what we see in our text today is what happens when a body of believers collectively pursues Jesus. And when they pray, God moves and he answers. And that's what we see in our text. So uh, a really simple outline today. One, we'll be looking at, well, how did the church pray? And then secondly, how to the Lord responds. So let's read Acts 4, 23 through 31, and then we'll dive on in here. When they released, and when they were released, uh, they went to their friends, and talking about Peter and John, 
and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by uh, the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just come before you grateful, God. We remember, we're reminded, Lord God, that you are sovereign, that you are Lord, you are creator, you are redeemer, you are in control, Lord God. You are working out all things in your sovereignty for your glory and for our good. So we praise your name, we bless your name today, God. And we ask, we ask that you would give us eyes to see your glory. Give us eyes to see your, your beauty, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, come. Do what only you can do. Soften our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus. Would you magnify him? And would, would he increase and would I decrease up here? Have your way with your word. Have your way with your people. Have your way with us, Lord, is our cry. The cry coming up from the Trinity Church is have your way with us, sovereign Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, well, how did the early church pray? Three, three things I'm going to hone in on. Um, and the first thing that kind of sticks out to me is the first thing we see is that their, their prayer was corporate. It was collective. It was, it was a, a team effort. It wasn't something private and personal. Often when we think of prayer, we immediately rush to just kind of a me and God framework, just kind of a personal, private, prayer closet type of deal. Nothing wrong with that. We should be praying without ceasing. We should have constant, close communion with Jesus. But what we do see in the early church is that uh, corporate prayer, collective prayer, them coming together and praying and seeking the face of God was their DNA. It's what they did. It was who they were. They were a house of prayer. They were a people, it says in Acts 2, Acts 2.42, they were devoted to prayer, to prayer. Acts, 2, uh, Acts 4, 23 through 24, this is what we see. And when they were released, Peter and John went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And watch this, verse 24. And when they all heard it, the very first thing they do, they lifted their voices together to God. So that phrase in verse 24, they lifted their voices together to God. Voices actually in the Greek is not in the plural form. It's in the singular. It's in the singular form. So it's actually they lifted their voice so we get the idea here that it was one voice, one voice, one cry, one unified collective cry to God. And then that word together is the same Greek word, homothumadon, which means one voice, but homothumadon means same fire, same passion, same zeal. This community had a fire in their belly for Jesus and for the glory of Jesus to go to the ends of the earth. And that was their one voice that was going up to Christ was May we respond in a way, Jesus, that brings glory to your name. That was what they did. This is what Daryl Bach says. He says, united in one voice before the one God, they seek to do the one thing that God 
called on them to do. They didn't ask for the persecution to leave. They didn't pray for safety. They didn't pray for comfort. You can, in the midst of persecution, you can pray for that, right? But that's not what they prayed for. They prayed that God would give them the boldness to do the one thing that Jesus commissioned them to do, to go to the ends of the earth and proclaim and advance the kingdom. And uh, what we see here is that persecution, the persecution that came upon the early church pushed them closer together, not farther apart. And as it pushed them closer together, it actually pushed them closer together as they collectively uh, grew closer together to Jesus. I've heard this saying before, I forget who said it, but uh, the church, Christians are like nails. The harder they get hit, the deeper they go. The deeper they go. And the mindset that this early church had was, hey, we're in this together, right? The stakes just got super, super high for the early church. And I was talking with Connor uh, before church today, and we were just kind of talking about sports. And he was asking about hockey, and I'm a, I'm a huge hockey fan. And, and I actually told him, you know, I don't, any, I don't watch any uh, regular season games because playoff hockey is a completely different game than the regular season, in my opinion. Uh, if, and that's, that goes for basketball. That goes for any other sport, croquet, right, playoff croquet. I mean, anyways, like, the stakes are, are, are exponentially higher when you're in the playoffs because all of a sudden you're saying, wow, we actually have a shot at winning the Stanley Cup, but also the, the, our opponents, they're hitting a little bit harder. They want, they want the victory just as much as we want the victory. So they're coming with everything they have, so we have to come with everything we have, collectively, together, right? The hits are harder. The shots are faster. The game is way faster. It's, go watch playoff hockey. If you haven't seen hockey, it's, it's amazing, right? It's a good sport. Um, and, and, the, and, and the stakes have gotten so much higher for the early church with this persecution, right? And I, and I think in a, a, a broad, painting a broad brush, a character, characterization of maybe the church in the West at large today. We're not in the playoffs. We're in the pre- we kind of we kind of we kind of live and act with the, with not a sense of urgency for the gospel to go forth, and we're kind of walking and living our Christian lives like we're in preseason. It doesn't matter if I if I you know it doesn't doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. And what we see what for the early church persecution made the stakes so much higher. Their lives were on the line. When we talk about persecution, we're not saying that oh the religious leaders took down our content from YouTube, right? Oh, so they're literally, they're trolling our Facebook page. Like, oh, you know, that's not, that's not the persecution they're facing. Arrest, trial. Uh, we're going to see that they were beaten by the religious leaders. And then a lot of these guys would give their lives. They would give their lives. And listen, prosperity is not the promise on this side of eternity of Jesus. Persecution is a promise of Jesus. You will be hated by all for my namesake is what Jesus says. That's what he says. I saw someone wearing a t-shirt and it said prosperity gospel on the front. I go, prosperity. And on the back it says uh, persecution and martyrdom on the back because those, the martyrs are those closest to the throne in heaven. I love that shirt, right? And so persecution, it brings the stakes. It, 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 it kind of rallies the church to understand that we're in a war. We're in a battle and the kingdom of darkness is coming against the spread of the gospel through the religious leaders here. And so the church rallies, and they're saying, we're toast if we try to go about this in our own strength. So the first place we need to go is for an emboldened, a, a boldness of the Spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus promised, boldness will come to you to be my witness when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So they go to uh, Jesus in prayer. And the formula we've seen so, so far, this community prays. They gather to pray, the Lord moves, the Spirit of God is poured out, and then thousands come to know Jesus, Right? That's the formula we've seen. Acts 2, they're praying, Spirit of God pours out, thousands are saved, they're praying. Uh, Acts 3, a man is healed, thousands are saved, they're praying here in Acts 4. Uh, the presence of God shakes them and then gives them boldness to go and proclaim the gospel, okay? So 
it's not one-to-one -one correlation, but if I'm, if I'm reading Acts and thinking about, hey, what are they doing that is causing God to speak and God to move? They're gathering to pray and surrender their hearts to the Lord and seek his face in prayer. And uh, so all to say with the announcement about the pray up and clean up, May 1st, just kind of tangent here, how this applies is, listen, uh, it's easy for us to think that, hey, pray up and clean up doesn't really matter. Just kind of, uh, and I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt you into coming at all. Like I, it's, a, it's a Saturday, do, do as the Holy Spirit convicts you to do, all right? But what I'm saying is this is a temptation for us as a community of believers is to think that that doesn't matter. Us going into our community to pray and to pick up trash in our community doesn't matter. But what scripture clearly articulates and what we're going to see at the end is that history, the, 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 the hinge of history hung in the balance of what came out of this prayer meeting, that you and I today are the fruit of what came out of this prayer meeting. You guys understand that, right? Because if, the, if, if they didn't pray and the Spirit didn't come, uh, uh, the gospel wouldn't have gone forth. Maybe they would have retreated in fear, right? But the fruit of this prayer meeting, so anyways, all to say, what if, church, we go into our community and we rally and we're not just picking up trash, we're praying, linking arms and asking God, Lord, use us. Use us to advance your kingdom. We no longer want to sit on the sidelines. We no longer want to do church well. We want to see redemption and healing and salvation come to our friends, to our family members, to our community. That's our heart cry, Lord. So we're crying out, what if as we do that as a community, God answers the prayer and his spirit is poured out and people are coming to know Jesus. And maybe this summer you're baptizing friends and family members that are coming to know him. What if that happens? What? I just have a hunch that our God, is our God not capable of doing that? He is. So we go out and we pray and we beat the hands and feet of Jesus, washing feet, picking up trash, and we pray. What if, what if a Saturday morning, this Saturday morning, is just as important as Sunday morning? What if? What if? And the second thing, we've got to keep moving on here. The second thing that sticks out to me after they prayed is that in their prayers, the way they started their prayers is they reminded themselves of who they were talking to of who was with them, of who was for them. Watch how their prayer starts. Verse 24, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So I want to hone in real quick on the implications of everything that's in verse 24. I could preach a whole sermon series on verse 24. So I got to speed up here because I'm getting a little long-winded. But uh, there's a ton of implications when you start your prayer as sovereign Lord and creator of all things. This is what theologian John Frame says about the, 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 the link between God as Lord and creator. Creation reveals God's lordship. It establishes God's ownership of all things and therefore his lordship over all creation. God created and therefore owns and rules. What? What does he own and rule? Absolutely everything. <laughs> Why? Because he done created it, church. If he created all things, he owns all things, right? So the implications of that are vast. It means every speck of dust on your dirty kitchen floor belongs to the Lord. It means every strand of hair on your head, or for some of us, our eyebrows, belongs to God. Every penny in our bank account is his. It belongs to him. Why? He's creator. And then the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, what Jesus Christ came to do, is where our sin sought to separate us from our creator who created us to know him and to love him and to walk with him and talk with him. What did Jesus do? He gave his life on the cross to buy you back, to pay the penalty, to tear the veil so you could be ransomed back to God. 
So, so if you are in here today and in Christ Jesus, you're doubly owned by him because he's your creator. And when sin sought to tear you away, then he purchased you with the blood of the lamb. That's the gospel, the rescue mission of God to restore and to redeem and to reconcile his creation back to himself. So Jesus holds the title, two titles to you, your body, your life. The scriptures say we are not our own. We were bought with the price. We we're bought with the price. That's the love that God has for us. That he would lay down his life so that we could come to know him and walk with him forever. We we're bought with the price. Jesus holds the title of ownership to your life. Sovereign Lord. And so when the church begins their prayer with sovereign Lord, the implications are staggering. And they're reminding themselves that our Lord, in the face of this persecution, our Lord is still Lord. Our sovereign is still sovereign. If religious authorities are attacking us, well, we still have the sovereign authority of the universe on our side. That's what they're saying, right? Um, when you start your prayers with sovereign Lord, and creator of all things, what you're doing is you're posturing your heart to stand at kind of the foot of the Mount Everest of God's majesty. Right? You're standing at the base. When you're at the very base, obviously I haven't climbed Mount Everest, but and maybe you can't even see it at the base. But anyway, just bear with me here. The Mount Everest, you're standing at the foot and you look. You can't even see how far, you know, east and west and how high it goes, but you're just standing at the base of this mountain. That's how you start your prayers, beholding the majesty of God. And often in our prayers, we don't see the church rushing in with their fear, which, which is a legitimate fear. Oh, God, take this fear from us. Oh, we're so scared. We're so scared. We're so scared. Sovereign Lord, behold our God. And then you drag your fear by the collar in prayer, and you say, come behold this God with me, fear. Come behold. Fear, uh, you, you kind of lost your sting. What do you have to say in response to the mountain, the majesty of my God who has promised in his word. And if you ever doubt the heart of God for you, he says, look to the cross. That's his heart for you. If God has given us his son, how much more will he not give us all things in Christ Jesus? So you look at the mountain of the Mount Everest of God's sovereign lordship and his majesty and his might and his power. And you say, fear, what was that you were saying again? I, I forgot what you were saying, anxiety. I forgot what you were saying, persecution. If God, if that God, the sovereign Lord, is with me, who can be against me? Who can be against us, right? Oh, Holy Spirit, come and give us eyes to see the majesty of our God. Sovereign Lord, creator of the earth, the heavens, the sea, everything in them. And so in this prayer, we see the implications. If God is sovereign Lord, it means he's the final authority they're going to obey. He is the power. Uh, if, if Surely if he whispers and galaxies are stretched out across the expanse of the universe, surely his power uh, should bring them comfort, that he can empower them in the teeth of, of mere mortals, that their God is with them, empower them to continue the mission that God has given them. But what we see next in God's sovereignty is this, is listen, if he is creator of all things and therefore rules all things, what scripture teaches and what we see in our text is that he's in control of all things. Uh, verse 27. Don't read verse 27 just yet. Actually, before that, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but we see in this prayer, they actually quote Psalm 2. I don't know if you guys noticed that they're, they're, they're quoting, they're praying scripture. They're quoting Psalm 2 where it says, David, full of the Holy Spirit, about a thousand years before this moment, foretold 
of the coming day where both uh, pagan nations, Gentiles, and Jews would rage against the Lord, would rage against the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, right? That was foretold in Psalm 2 is a messianic promise, uh, prophecy. And then we see in verse 27 through 28, the church says, says this in their prayer. For truly in the city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, watch this, watch, watch this, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And so what they're saying here is what happened to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and what is following us was and is no cosmic accident, no tragedy, no roll of the dice. They're saying that God is sovereign Lord. Listen, listen, not only foretold or foresaw that this was going to happen, listen, church, he predestined it to happen. He predestined, it says, whatever your plan, your plan, your redemptive plan of history, right? The crushing of your son was your plan before the foundation of the earth. That was on your daily planner, okay? Your yearly plan, that was your plan and your hand brought it about in your uh, sovereignty. And so what they're saying there, your hand, your plan, is that essentially is this, is that God in his sovereignty, he's got a plan, church. Right? Some of you, any of you still use like a paper uh, yearly calendar? Any of you? Yes! Some of you. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, what this is saying is not literally, but God has a plan. Before the foundation of the world, he's got a day planner, weekly planner, monthly, yearly, century, millennia. Before the foundation of the world planner, the king is on the throne. And he's got a plan. And not only does he have a plan, but what we see in our text is that he has a hand. He has a hand to, to use his sovereign power and his authority to implement that plan and his sovereignty, okay? That's a beautiful comfort, a beautiful hope. John Piper says this, is that sovereignty focus kind of, John Piper wrote a book on providence, it's like 800 pages. Anyways, I've only read the first three chapters, but um, sovereignty focuses on God's right, his authority, and his power to do all that he wills. All that he wills, his might and his right. He's authority, he's God, all power, all authority is given to him. He can do what he wants. And then providence, and then the, 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 what God's providence is, is essentially his sovereignty in action, right? It's his sovereign plan in action, his hand be extended to enact what he's already planned, okay? Now, the mystery of this is profound, the mystery of God's sovereignty and man's free will, right? The mystery looks like this. Watch this. Listen to me closely here on this one. The mystery of what, God, what Scripture teaches is this, is that God, God, as sovereign Lord, is sovereignly working all things, all things according to his will for his glory, watch this, through the free choices of humanity, who will one day give an account before God for how they, morally responsible beings, chose to live their God-given lives, right? If that doesn't cause your head to explode, I have no idea what will. But it's a great comfort, right? It's a great comfort. I think for, um, and by the way, uh, I was at, I went to a Reformed Theological Seminary and uh, uh, the president of RTS, Tyson, was teaching a class, and he was talking about this dilemma, if you will, of God's sovereignty, man's free will. And he said this, president of RTS, uh, Tyson's, and he said this, he goes, if, if you ever hear someone say that they figured out that mystery between God's sovereignty and man's free will, uh, they're either lying or they have no idea what they're talking about, right? They're either lying or they have no idea what we're talking about. So that my encouragement this morning is this, don't get lost in the mystery of this. Get blown away at the majesty of your God. That he triumphs over evil, the free choices of evil men to work out sovereignly his good purposes. Right? Romans 8.28. What is Romans 8.28? God works out all things. 
for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. How can he work out all things unless he's in control of all things? Unless he's sovereign Lord. How can we actually rest in that hope unless we don't understand and as him as sovereign Lord can work out all things for his glory, for our good, unless somehow, mysteriously, maybe even on the other side of eternity, we still won't comprehend how we did it, but that he is in control over the free choices of man. And yet, and yet cannot be, and yet cannot be condemned with evil because he's perfectly righteous, right? Profoundly, like, like, and, that, and I'm going to close the, the service today with Romans 11, the benediction where, where the Apostle Paul goes, oh, the depths of the mystery of who got it, right? That should blow us away, but it's a comfort. Don't get lost in the mystery. Focus on the majesty of who your God is. And that's what the church is saying. Here's the beauty of it. The persecuted church is coming together. They're saying, sovereign Lord. They're saying this. Our ascended King Jesus, sovereign Lord, all authority has been given to him, is not, in response to this persecution, is not in heaven on the throne, biting his fingernails. Oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that move of the religious leaders. I didn't see that coming. I don't know what to do. What should I do? He's not pacing. He didn't leave us throne, pacing back and forth. I don't have a plan. I didn't see that coming. I don't know what to do. The, the church is saying, they're quoting Psalm 2, and they're saying, they're saying, sovereign Lord, you gave us a thousand year heads up that this was coming. That's how big you are. That's how mighty you are, right? You're sovereign. You're Lord. You saw this coming. We trust you. We trust you, right? But listen, listen, and I'll transition to my third point here. God's sovereignty for the early church was a profound comfort to them, but it was not an excuse for disobedience. Are you tracking with me? They didn't punt to God's sovereignty. They didn't say, sovereign Lord, creator of the heavens and the earth. We thank you for your sovereignty. You will evangelize the nations in your due time. Meanwhile, we're going to get the blender out, some tequila, some ice, and uh, we're going to make some daiquiris. And we're going we're gonna to sit back, eat, drink, be merry. Why? Because our God is sovereign. That's not their response. And that is not to be our response to God's sovereignty. Okay? Why? Why did they not respond that way? Instead, they cried out, God, send us. Right? Why did they respond that way? Because they knew that the way God moves in his sovereign power, the way that God advances his kingdom through his sovereign power is through the church. It's through you and me. It's through you and me. That's how he does it. That's how he does it. And so the means God uses to sovereignly advance his kingdom is the church. It's you and me. That's his plan A for kingdom advancement work. And sure, he can rise up stones if we're silent. But listen, the response to God's sovereignty is this, guys. It's not God is sovereign, so I won't be moved. It's God is sovereign, so Lord, sovereignly move us where you wish. God, you're, it's not God is sovereign. I'm going to stay still. I'm going to, I'm going to hunker down and, and not obey what Jesus clearly told us to do. It's God, you're sovereign. You have a plan, something you want to accomplish. Then put me on your day planner, right? I want the transit church, right? The cry of the transit church is, Lord, if you have a plan and a hand and you have a, a kingdom work to do here, then we raise our hands and we say, sovereign Lord, put us down on your daily planner, weekly planner, monthly planner, yearly planner. Don't pass us by, sovereign Lord. Use us. We want to be used. We want to be extension of your sovereign power, right? I want my name. I want our church to be in bold ink all over the advancement of God's kingdom, all over his planner. Amen? Right? Don't pass me by. Don't let me waste my life, Lord Jesus. I rest in your sovereignty. I rest in the finished work of Christ. And now thrust me into the battlefield. I don't want to waste the one life you've given me to steward for the sake of the gospel. 
Sovereign Lord, move us, is the heart cry, is the response to his sovereignty. And so thirdly, we're going back to the question of how they prayed. We see they actually prayed that God would move them. That's what they pray. Lord, move us. And, 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 oh, they prayed for fresh boldness to faithfully proclaim the gospel and also ask that as they went, as they went and prayed the gospel, that God would accompany that gospel ministry with the power of his Holy Spirit shown through signs and wonders. Look at verses 29 through 30. And now, Lord, sovereign Lord, look upon the threats of the religious leaders and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What they're crying out is, Lord, move us. Grant us that we would continue to proclaim your gospel, that we would not be still, we would not be silent, but that we would, that we would move. And so what they pray for here, churches, they don't pray for safety. They don't pray for persecution to lift. They don't, they don't pray for that. They pray for fresh boldness to step back in the ring. What they're saying with this prayer is, Lord, listen, Lord, you've told us crystal clear the one thing we're called to do, the Great Commission, is go forth. Go to the ends of the earth, make disciples. And so we're putting the mouth guard back in. We're, we're scared. Listen, church, listen, we can, the reason, we, uh, the reason we've entitled is intentional, our sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, not Acts of the Apostles, is because I think we deify the apostles. We deify the early church, and, 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 and we honor them. We value what they've done for the advancement of the kingdom, their trust in the Lord, but it's the Holy Spirit through them. You don't need to pray for boldness if you already have it right? They're not puffing their chests out, you know, like you see dudes in like a football locker room, like punching each other in the chest and hitting each other on the helmet, like, we got this, you know, whatever. You don't need to pray for boldness, right? If, if you already have it, you don't, need to be, you don't need to pray to be moved unless you're tempted not to move. So there's a, they, they have seen the threats and there's a check in their spirit. They're, they're weighing, they're counting the cost. And they feel, I believe, I believe, I don't want to read into the text, but I feel they're feeling the pull, the temptation to slow down. They're feeling the temptation to change the message. They're feeling the temptation of Peter's looking at his wife, maybe looking at his kids and saying, Lord, what happens if, if I die? Who's going to take care of them? What happens? They're feeling that. And so they're praying, Lord, still move us. We want to put the mouth guard back in. We're stepping back in the ring. But listen, what they pray is this. When we step back in the ring, would you stretch out your hand and would you be the one throwing the punches? That's how the gospel goes forth. You proclaim the gospel, but it's only through the power of the spirit that the gospel goes forth. It is impossible to advance the kingdom of God without his spirit. It is impossible. The, the conundrum of what Christ has called us to do is, is the very work he's called us to do, preach salvation, right? Uh, sanctification, all stuff. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who regenerates, who saves, who sanctifies. I can't do that. I can preach till I, you know, my, my hair's a mess and veins are popping out of my bald head and I pass out. And if the Holy Spirit's not moving, nothing's going to happen, right? Nothing's going to happen. This is what Acts teaches us. Their full reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit to move in power, to accompany the proclamation of the gospel. We're going, mouth guard in, gloves on. We're going to preach the gospel. Arm of the Lord, stretch out your hand and throw some haymakers as we go, Holy Spirit. That's what they're saying. Stretch out your hand for what? They're praying for miracles. They're praying for signs and wonders, church. And listen, it would be the height of insanity given, given the effectiveness of God stretching out his hand. It would be the height of insanity for the early, early church not to pray for signs and wonders. What happened at Pentecost? 
The Spirit of God is poured out. What is that? It's a demonstration of the Spirit of God powerfully showing up, dwelling in the midst of his people. And then what's the result? Thousands of people get saved. One man is healed. One man is healed. One man is healed. What happens? The gospel is preached. Thousands of people are saved. A demonstration of the power of God to heal. The gospel preached. This is who just healed you, King Jesus. He's poured out his spirit. He's in our midst. And thousands of people come to know Jesus. The only reason there's thousands of, of new converts is because of the demonstration of the power of God through his spirit. So for them, not, for them to say, just give us boldness to preach the gospel, that's not how the gospel's gone forth. Yes, they need boldness to go. And they're saying, Lord, keep doing what you're doing. It works. It seems to be working really well, right? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that um, as we go share our faith and, and with friends and family members that the Lord needs to, uh, they won't be saved unless the Lord heals them or, or you know, razzle-dazzles them. That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying biblically, when you look at Acts, the pattern we see is a declaration of the gospel and a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. It's not just, and, and I'm going I'm to quote about three other scriptures for you. For, don't take my word, don't ever take my word for it. We study the scriptures, okay? Word, deed, declaration and demonstration of the power of God. Don't take my word for it. First Thessalonians 2, 1, 4 through 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God. Can we get those verses on the, uh, the screen? I got to prove my point here. <laughs> Thank you, okay. For we know, brothers, loved by God. This is Paul, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in proclamation, not only in word, but way to come in, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul is saying right there out of the gate to the church at Thessalonica, you know what, you want to know how the gospel advanced? Was yes, through the word and the proclamation and a demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power. Okay, don't take 1 Thessalonians 4 for it. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 2, 2 through 5. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners to save and rescue them. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in what? Demonstration of what? The Holy Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Don't take just those two verses for it. Let's go to Romans 15, 18 through 19. For I will not venture to speak. Romans 15 up there, yes. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Jesus Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience. By what? By word, proclamation, and deed. And then he explains what word and deed is. By the power of signs and wonders. By the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem all the way around to Elysium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the Bible I read. This is what the book of Acts, this is how the gospel advanced throughout the book of Acts, was the Holy Spirit moving powerfully through them. And Paul repeats to all the churches he planted, all the churches he planted, he repeats, this is how the gospel goes forth. Proclaim the gospel, cling to the gospel, and be open to whatever the power of the Spirit wants to do as you do that. You rely on him fully and totally. And, and I think, um, let me check myself here. <laughs> but the fulfillment, going back to Romans 15, was, the fulfillment of the ministry of the gospel, what that looked like for the Apostle Paul, was preaching the gospel, and that was accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders. So listen, we want to keep the order right, amen? The church prays for the gospel to go forth, 
and for signs and wonders. Because where we go wrong, where we can easily drift into bad territory and where there's a hesitation to check in our gut, is we just want, we just want signs and wonders for the sake of signs and wonders. We want the tingles. We want the experience. We want, like, hey, God, razzle-dazzle us. Right? That's what just, oh, God, just give me a cool experience, you know, whatever. We want that. And, oh, by the way, we might preach the gospel. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's not how it works. The order of the prayer for this church was, give us boldness to step back in the ring and proclaim the gospel, God. But as we do, we can accomplish nothing apart from your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Have your way. We need you. Right? That, we've got to keep the order right. We're going to keep that order right here at the transit. We'll faithfully proclaim the gospel, and we will be biblical, and we'll open our hands to full submission of God, Holy Spirit, and what he wants to do in and through the church, right? He's given us gifts to build up the body. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, those were God's idea. The Holy Spirit was Jesus Christ's gift to the church. He poured it out when he ascended to heaven, right? He dwells in us. So we open up our hands and say, come Holy Spirit, give us boldness. Give us something we don't have. Give us a zeal for the lost. Help us to go. We're going to proclaim the gospel. But Lord, do whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes for your gospel to go forth and for the lost to be saved in Jesus' name. So let me conclude. I was going to share a story, um, but I <laughs> share. Uh, December. I have a friend who doesn't know Jesus. Uh, I've known him since I was a kid. Terrible witness, gospel witness growing up. Really religious, self-righteous, botched gospel presentation time and time again. Reach out to him about once a year. We grab coffee. Usually just talk about sports and the weather. And the night before our meeting up with him, the Lord put on my heart to reach out to him. And I'm crying out. I'm saying, Lord, I don't want to waste another, I don't want to waste another coffee date uh, talking about weather, talking about sports. Uh, the stakes are high. Eternity's at stake, God. And, and <laughs> And the Lord's been speaking to me a lot in my dreams and some other crazy ways. And it was recently, as I've been sharing, because it's the Holy Spirit. This is what he does. It's biblical, okay? And I've been praying. I said, Lord, give me a dream tonight. Give me a word for him. Uh, help me. I want this conversation to be steered to the gospel, but I don't want it to be one of those stale, uh, just like, let me walk you through the Romans road, kind of like you're a project kind of things. Like, let it, be, let it be your spirit, right? And so I meet up with him. And the whole way there, I get nothing the night before from the Lord. I don't get anything. No word, no impression, nothing, nada. I'm praying the whole way, 30 minutes to this, to this appointment. I get nothing from the Lord. Lord, like, and then I finally I say, Lord, use me however you wish. I'm going. You've given me nothing from what I can tell. Use me however you wish. I sit down, grab coffee, and we're talking for five minutes. Conversation's going nowhere. And then he, he asked me, how's your year been? And immediately, I felt the Lord say, we well, got to be honest. <laughs> and so I told him. I started telling him what the Lord's been doing in my life. Like he was, I just started talking to him with boldness, like, I, like a boldness I didn't have. That, that like he was a fellow believer. I just told him everything that God was doing. And I told him, I told him some crazy stuff. And I was like, bro, I, and I stopped. And I said, bro, I, I, should, I, I, I wasn't planning on sharing this dude. I'm so sorry. This freaks you out. Like, I don't think I was, I, was, I was supposed to share this. And he looks at me, he goes, he says, calls me by name. And he goes, you need to tell me everything. And I go, everything? You sure? And I told, and I, I told him everything, okay? And after I'm done, it looked, his eyes were wide as dinner plates and something was going on. And after he had to run to a meeting and he's just, he's just, he, he keeps saying, we got to meet up, we got to meet up, we got to meet up. And I'm going, bro, like, you mean this afternoon? Like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, we just got to, we got to meet up. He's kind of flustered. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, well, bro, let me pray for you. And then, and then, yeah, like, I'll reach out to you. We meet up two days later, Saturday, at my house. The first thing he says, he says, he said, he told me, these were his words, not my own. This is the only time this has ever happened to me. But, but listen, listen, okay. So I'm not saying this, this is, anyways. He, he, he says this, he says this. The second you started sharing your testimony, uh, your story of what the Lord was doing in your life, 
I had this peace and this presence come over me the entire time. And it was so powerful. Watch this. It, this is a true story. These are his words, not my own. It was so powerful, I could barely drive out of the parking garage. That's how powerful this encounter was I was having, this experience. And so then for two hours, I was able to tell him, hey, that's called the Holy Spirit. That's the work of Jesus. Let me tell you, that's Jesus saying, hello, I'm here. I love you. Uh, give your life to me. And so for two hours, we talk. And then I pray for him. It's a Saturday. I'm not swinging a blazer when I pray for him. I don't even touch him. I'm not hooting and hollering up here like when I preach. I just where he said, I'm sitting, I say, dude, let me pray for you, man. Let me pray for you. I pray. I ask for the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, to come and to show him the love that Jesus has for him. And as I'm praying for him, just softly, just praying in faith, I feel the warmth of God's presence. I feel his peace that surpasses all understanding. Philippians, Philippians 4, come over me. I don't, I, don't, I don't highlight it. I don't say anything. I just say amen, and I get this big grin on my face, and then he opens his eyes, and he looks at me, and he smiles, and he goes, are you feeling that too? And I said, and I said yeah, bro. And I pointed to my, my living room, and I said, and I looked at Psalm 16. And I said, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And I looked at him, and I said, this is what Jesus has purchased for you, my friend. Give your life to Jesus. The, the reason people leave the church in droves is because they've never encountered the Holy Spirit. Jesus died to pull out the Holy Spirit. We, we've been given dry, dead orthodoxy to a church, and people are deacon. No wonder they're deconstructing. They haven't met the resurrected Jesus and the power of his spirit. And that's, why, and, that was, and that's why I told my buddy, I said, listen, man, this is your inheritance, the presence of God, both here and now and forevermore. This is the gospel, is that you get God, the power of his spirit. This last week, I've had three divine encounters where I've been able to share dreams with people. I'm crying, they're crying. Some dude at the office, I don't even know his name. And I'm able to talk with him. That's what our God is doing. That's what he does. He's alive. He's on the move. Hallelujah. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Oh, man, it's a fire in my belly. Sorry, guys. Kayla, you got me on that one. I don't know if that's what I'm saying. All right. All right, push me over the edge there. Anyways, all glory to God. I wasn't experiencing this until a year and a half ago. And all of a sudden, I go back to my scriptures, and I look, and I go, I was blinded. I, I, if you, listen, listen, I know this is tough for some of you. I know it's tough for some of you. But what I have done, there's red ink, which is scripture all over my manuscript. Red ink. If you have any issue, I would love to grab coffee with you. And I would love to show you in the scriptures how everything I have shared with you, God speaking to me in dreams to edify and build up and evangelize the lost. It's biblical. From Genesis to Revelation, God is speaking. He's a God who speaks through his spirit. He moves. His presence. Listen, listen, with my friend, I prayed with him to receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Okay, amen? Why? It's really easy when the power of God comes on someone to lead them to Jesus. Amen? It's a much more effective way. I've been in ministry since I was like 18. It's a much more effective way to do ministry, the power of the Spirit. Amen? So that's why we're open. Does that happen every time I pray? No. God is sovereign. No, but he does it, and he's doing it. That's in the last, that was just in the last four months. And then, and then I grabbed coffee with me. Let me show you the last week of what, of what the Lord's been doing. It's all him. I want to invite you into what God's doing because there's so much more. Uh, there's so much more that he has to offer. Uh, I'll conclude. How did God respond to this prayer? Man, whew, off my notes. All right, here we go. How did God respond? Verse 31. And when they had prayed, this is who our God is. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. 
God shook the building. I believe as confirmation of prayer heard, prayer answered. Shake them up, you know? Like, hey, watch this. Boom, rumble them, you know, shake them up a little bit. And uh, kind of like an like you purchase, you, you send a prayer request to Amazon in a way to purchase something, and then you get the email confirmation that the package is on the way. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was God's email confirmation. Package is on the way, right? Shakes the building, and then he shakes them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you know you're filled with the Holy Spirit unless that's an ex- experience? How do they know that? Riddle me that. We don't want to read into the text. But they're saying something happened when the building shook, that something happened to them. They got something they didn't have before. How do you know you got something you didn't have before unless you encounter it? Maybe it was warmth. Maybe it was the fire at Pentecost. This is a refilling the Spirit of God upon them. God shakes the building. He shakes them. He fills them with the Holy Spirit. And then what do they do? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, listen, if you want to pray to be used by the Holy Spirit, you better pack your bags. Listen, it is, it is, there is one direction the wind blows for the Holy Spirit. It is proclamation of Jesus to the ends of the earth. So as we ask for the Holy Spirit to use us mightily and move us, hold on to your possessions lightly, my friends. Because what we see when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, man, that was in a great, uh, amazing shaking and encounter of filling. They didn't all sit there. What it says is the Lord sent them back into the ring, to the, into the face of violence and persecution to proclaim. And so all that to say, I'll wrap up with this. Everything hung in the balance in this moment of history, so much so that you and I are the fruit of God answering this prayer. You and I are the fruit of a body of believers crying out to God in their fear and their helplessness for the Spirit of God, the Sovereign Lord, to thrust them back into the ring. You and I are the fruit. And what if at the Transit Church, here we go, what if we corporately and collectively devoted ourselves to crying out in hunger for the power of God to move mightily through us to advance his kingdom. Amen? Amen? We just posture our hearts. The beautiful thing about the throne of grace where our sovereign Lord is seated, it's a throne of grace, not a throne of condemnation, not a throne of, of oh, you guys should be better, blah, 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 smack you on the face. It's a throne of grace, so we come with our lack. What I've been praying repeatedly, join me in this prayer. Lord, give me a zeal for the lost. Give me a zeal and a passion and a love for the lost that trumps my fear of looking stupid. So I'll boldly share them. Give me something I don't have. Give me a boldness I don't have, God. Give me a love. Give me a compassion. Give me a boldness to go. We want more of you, God. Ephesians 3, 20, I'll conclude with this, and then I'll give us a moment to pray. I went a little long here. Sorry, guys. Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. This is who our God is. Behold your king. Now to him who is able to do what? To do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to what? So one, our God is powerful. He's able to do far more than anything we could ever ask, think, or imagine. But what's the flow? What's the direction? It's, it's his spirit indwelling us. Look at the context of Ephesians 3. He's talking about the, the spirit indwelling us. He says, according to what? According to the power, not at work outside of us, according to the power of the Holy Spirit within, within us. The power of the sovereign Lord, yes, he, his, he can do what he wants, he's sovereign Lord, but in a unique way, through the power of his spirit, he wants his gospel to go forth through his spirit-filled church, you and I. He's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think or imagine according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I had this, as I was reading that last part, I had this thought. I think there's some people here who think that there's family members who are too far gone. They're never going to come to Jesus. They're never going to return to the fold of God. And this verse says, this verse says, this verse says, God can do far more abundantly than all you ask 
or imagine revival this past year has broken out in my family. We had like a corporate baptism. I was able to baptize some people uh, in my family. It was beautiful, more than I could ever ask or imagine. That's who our God is. There's so much more. Ain't nobody safe. Ain't nobody safe if, if our sovereign Lord is seated and his spirit is dwelling powerfully within us. Amen? That's who our God is. Look to him. Let's pray. I'll give you guys a moment to go silent. I'm going to call up the band, and then uh, I just encourage you. Just posture your heart. Ask him. Ask him to move you. Ask him. If there's apathy, if there's hardness, for him to tear that away. Whatever you need, whatever the burden is, whatever the fear is, whatever the anxiety is, cry out to him in faith today. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come before you, Sarah, Sarah, just full of so much gratitude. So grateful, Lord, so grateful for your grace, for your mercy, for your compassion, Lord God, that you would want to dwell in our midst through your spirit, that you, where we are is where you'd want to be, God. Thank you, Lord God. I pray, Holy Spirit, you comfort those who are mourning today. You comfort those who are grieving, God. You comfort those who are full of fear and doubt. Would you comfort them? Would you speak, Holy Spirit, to them? Would you speak, God? Would you soften hardened hearts today? Yeah, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Would you call, would you call home those that have been away from you for far too long, God? Call them back, God. Call them back home. Your arms are open wide. Your nail-scarred arms are open wide, ready to receive those who have been walking with their back turned to you for a long time. That's your heart, Jesus, towards us is mercy and love and compassion. Your arms are open wide. You sit on a throne of grace. So we come to you recognizing that, man, you're a good king. You're a gracious king. You're a sovereign Lord. Nothing is too difficult for you. But I pray specifically in this moment that Holy Spirit, you'd come and you'd have your way. Where there needs to be uh, comfort, bring comfort. Where there needs to be conviction, bring conviction, Lord Jesus. And bring back, Lord God, bring back those who have wandered from you today, we pray. All of this in your mighty name, amen.